Well, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and go to Luke chapter 21, and we're going to start in verse 5 this morning. Before we get into it, I, I was thinking when I was reading through the passage this week and preparing about a time in my life. Uh, years ago, it was uh, our family became Christians when I was in, around middle school, late middle school. And so we didn't, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up w- with the Lord. Uh, and so everything was new to me for a long time. You know, I didn't have the Bible stories. I didn't have the theology kind of ingrained in me like so many of my peers did. And I, I, I remember I was 16 years old. I'd been a Christian for just a couple of years. And for the very first time, uh, the idea of the end times came up. And it came up because a very popular movie came out called Left Behind. Y'all remember this? Yeah, y'all remember Left Behind? Goodness. Uh, it came out, and so it was like this big deal in our church, and everyone, we're going to go watch the movie together, and uh, and our pastor is going to be preaching on, you know, end times and everything. And let me tell you guys, I was terrified. I was a terrified 16. I was scared to death. Uh, it being exposed to that for the first time, I didn't know anything about it, never even really knew that Christianity had a had like ideas about the the end of things, um, and so I was terrified. It, the thing that terrified me the most was like the idea of the rapture. Okay, that was like a, a scary. One day I was driving down the road, I was driving down one of the highways around Jemison, Alabama, and no one was on the highway. <laughs> it was empty. So it was a wasteland of cars, no cars anywhere, and I just heard these fire brimstone you know, preaching about the end times and the rapture. And I thought, I was scared to death. I thought it happened. I got left behind. It was me. I, I got left behind. I'm the, I'm the one. And, I, and so I, I sped up. I drove even faster. I was trying to get to town. I was like, maybe I, did, I wasn't left. And then I finally got to town and everyone's there. So it was fine. Um, I was like, whew, that was scary. Uh, it, it frightened me a lot. It was scary. In fact, the whole idea of it was given, was presented in such a way to only induce fear, right? And uh, we're going to be talking about that a little bit this morning um, because Jesus talks about it uh, in, in our passage. And we're going to be talking about that kind of fear that's, that is kind of ingrained into our society, when it, our sub, Christian subculture, when it comes to talking about the end of things and the return of Christ. And so... Got your Bible. Let's go to Luke chapter 21, verse 5. And this is a long reading, so buckle up, you know, tune in. It's a long one. As some were talking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. Teacher, they asked him, so when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Then he said, Watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, it is necessary that these things take place first, but the end won't come right away. Then he told them, Nation will be raised up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places, and there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. 
This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time, for I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but not a hair of your head will be lost. By your endurance, gain your lives. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that its desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains, those inside the city must leave it, and those who are in the country must not enter it, because these are days of vengeance to fulfill all the things that are written. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath against his people, this people. They will be killed by the sword and be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Then there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And there will be anguish on the earth among nations, bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world. Because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man come in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your head, because your redemption is near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put out leaves, you can see for yourselves and recognize that summer is already near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be on, guard, on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing drunkenness and worries of life. Or that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. But be alert at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. During the day, he was teaching in the temple, but in the evening he would go out and spend the night on what is called the Mount of Olives. Then all the people would come early in the morning to hear him in the temple. It's the word of the Lord. So, what a passage that is, right? Um, there's two things I want us to see in this passage. First is that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. The end is nigh. You know, that might sound cringy to you. You may eye roll at the prospect of a coming judgment on the world. Um, our skepticism doesn't mean it's not true, right? That God is going to judge this world. The first thing we need to learn from Jesus is that judgment is coming. Uh, the disciples are looking around at the temple. They see this beautiful temple, uh, ornate, massive, it's a huge structure. And, that, and it prompts them to, uh, to Jesus to tell them that these things that you see, right? You look around, you see this temple, this beauty. The days will come when not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down, right? This is a beautiful temple that you love. It's coming down. And that is quite the claim. That's a, that's, a, that's a big deal, right? All the historical sources that we have 
uh, like outside of the Bible that talk about Jerusalem and talk about the temple and the temple mount. Uh, they, they talk about this thing is with just incredible language. Like they were, were really impressed by it. Um, it, was, it was huge. They go on and, and on about its magnitude and opulence. And, and you know, everyone, everyone knows like when you think of like a big ancient structure that was huge and very difficult to make, what do you think of? You think of the pyramids, don't you? Right? The pyramids in Egypt, man, those things are huge, right? The blocks in it, huge. Some of the blocks in the Great Pyramids are 80 tons, 80 tons. I, haven't, I don't know how they did that. Did you know that in the temple that there is a block that is 300 tons as part of the temple? Do you know that? Yeah, it's, it's actually the largest uh, architectural stone in all of existence that's ever been used. It's, it's part of the temple. You can go to it and you can see it today. It's part of the western wall that's still remaining. You can go see it. It is massive. It's this massive stone. It's part of it. And a lot of these stones that were put together for the temple were that size. They're huge. And so it's a really shocking statement, you know, to hear Jesus say that the temple is coming down and not one stone will be left on, on top of one another. This is a big deal. <laughs> it frightened them. Uh, it was shocking. It rocked his disciples. And, uh, and as we'll see next week, that it's the claim that sparked the religious elite to begin the plot to murder Christ. It's a, it's this claim that the temple is coming down. So judgment is coming, right? Jesus is telling you, like, judgment's coming. And not only is judgment coming, judgment is coming and it's starting in God's house. It's starting in God's own house. So and Jesus goes on to describe three stages of judgment as we just read. There's three stages, if you notice. One's the temple, right? And they're kind of like uh, stages of judgment that expand. So first the temple, and then there's the judgment of Jerusalem that he talks about, the city. And then he goes on to talk about the entire world, right? So there's these stages of the temple, then Jerusalem, and then the entire world. And the disciples, of course, want to know when that's going to happen, as you would too, I'm sure. And he doesn't really tell them. Did you notice that? That Jesus, they asked it, but Jesus never really tells them when it's going to happen. Look what he says instead. He tells them what not to look for. He tells them, don't look for this. Look at verse 8. Go to verse 8. It says, uh, and he said, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near. Don't follow them. Don't listen to these people. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. <laughs> right? Don't be alarmed. It says, indeed, it is necessary that these things take place first, but the end won't come right away. So these are what not to look for. You shouldn't look for these things. Here, here's a, like a little list from the passage of things not to look for, things that do not signal that the Lord's judgment is coming. People saying it's about to happen. Okay, don't listen to them, it says. <laughs> Do not follow these people. That's what you should not look for. Uh, don't follow them. Wars and rebellions. What does it say? Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Don't look for that. Nations against nations, kingdom against kingdoms. Nope. Violent earthquakes, famine, plagues. Nope. Terrifying sights and signs from heaven. Nope. Don't look for those things. He says, don't be deceived by these things. Here is how you'll know when the temple is coming down. Because this is specifically talking about the destruction, the judgment against Jerusalem and the temple. Here's how you know when that's going to happen. When the temple is coming down. 
Look at verse 20. He, he tells, he gives them a little glimpse. This is the best, the most he gives them. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that its desolation has come near. So how will you know when Jerusalem and the temple are about to be judged? Well, when there's an army camped around it. That's what he tells them. Um, there's an army about to attack it. And, and, and we actually know when this happened. Okay, we know, we know about this moment in history when Jerusalem was surrounded by Rome, uh, by their armies, and Jerusalem was sacked, destroyed, the temple was broken, torn down. It happened in 70 AD. Okay, it was like about 30 to 40 years after Jesus died and resurrected and ascended, about somewhere between 30 and 40 years. Um, and they do exactly what he says. Jesus predicts it, and they do exactly what he says. They tear down the temple, and they scatter the Jews all over the world. All right, it's called the diaspora. And so Jesus wants to be clear, though. He's, he's, he's predicting that. He's predicting the destruction of the temple in, in Jerusalem. He wants to be clear that the fall of the temple and Jerusalem are not the end of the age. It's not the end, right? The end times. It's not the last, the final moment. It's not the return of Christ. It's not that. Uh, but they are related to it, right? That's why he sandwiches it all together here. The, the destruction, the judgment of the temple in Jerusalem is related to the judgment that's coming on the world. And so when he predicts the judgment of Israel and Jerusalem, their temple, he also takes the opportunity to predict the coming judgment on the entire world. And the only difference is scale, isn't it? That's the only difference that he describes here. He's saying that what will happen to the temple in Jerusalem is also going to happen to the entire world. The Son of Man is coming. Did you notice that in the passage, that there's the revelation of the Son of Man. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. All right, The Son of Man is showing up, and the Son of Man, of course, is Jesus Christ. The Son of Man is coming, and the kingdom of God is near, which means that heaven and earth will pass away. That's what Jesus tells us. Why? Why? Why is God going to judge the world like he did Jerusalem? That's a good question to ask yourself. That's a good question because other people want to know the answer to that too. Why is God going to judge the world like he did Jerusalem? Actually, I think the better question really is how could he not? How could he not judge the entire world? You know, that, you think the Lord's just going to let it go on forever? Billions of rebels living in his own land, stirring up more rebellion against the sovereign king? How could he let that go on? What kind of good king would let rebels go on destroying his kingdom without confrontation? You know, the answer is like not, there's no good king that would do that, right? He's been patient. So, so patient, right? And every moment of delay is, you know, every moment of delay to his justice is, is a tangible mercy from the Lord, right? But it won't last forever. It can't last forever. The Son of Man, King Jesus, is going to show up one day. He's going to show up. And what will he do when he does? What will Jesus do when he shows up with his kingdom in tow? 
what happened to Jerusalem is going to happen to this world. Verse 22 says that these are the days of vengeance. And uh, the Greek isn't the kind of, I don't know, petty revenge, you know, revenge. When you hear the word vengeance, you might kind of think of like just revenge. Or something. That's not what it's talking about. That's not the word here. Um, and uh, it's not the kind of revenge we might seek when some, something bad has happened to us, right? I'm going to get back at them. The word is, is about civil punishment. It's like a, the state meeting out justice is how that word is used in, in Greek. Uh, and so why is God going to judge the world? Why is he going to come show up and judge this world? Because that's what a good king does. That's what a good king would do. And he is a good king. So judgment is coming for our world, just like it came for Jerusalem. That's the first thing I want us to see, is that there is a judgment that is coming on this world because of sin, and because of the corruption that we have brought into this world because of sin. And he's not going to let it go on forever. Every moment that he lets it go on, praise him, it's a mercy to us. It's a mercy to the lost, because there's time for them to repent. And it's wonderful that he, that he delays his justice. But the justice will be met. So that's the first thing. Judgment is coming. The second, though, is that we need to be ready when it gets here. We need to be ready for God's judgment when it gets here. Jesus tells us exactly how we can be ready for when his justice arrives. And I just, just front load this with, just remember that there are two, only two possible outcomes to judgment, right? And judgment is not a bad thing. Judgment is a good thing. You judge all the time. You judge every time you go through a drive-thru. I want this, not that, right? This is good, this is bad. That's what judgment is. And there are two possible outcomes in judgment. There's guilty and righteous, right? Guilty and innocent. And so those, judgment's not bad, and judgment is also an opportunity. It's not just condemnation. That's only one side of what could happen when you are judged. And so that is an option, right? How can we be ready for his justice when it arrives? Well, the first thing we can do, Jesus tells us, is, is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's what he talks about several times here. Don't be afraid. And, you know, talking about the end times, the judgment of the world can be pretty sensational, can't it? You know, it can be sensational. If you want to make a buck in Hollywood, okay, take any story you got, any kind of story you got, and just kind of put it in a dystopian world, okay? And you're going to make some money, man. That story's going to sell. Our world loves it. Our world loves apocalyptic kind of stories and that kind of thing. And sensational. Um, there are a lot of end times fear mongers out there, okay? A lot of so-called pastors that love to stir up fear about the end times. Um, date setting, oh man, the date setting gets crazy. Don't do that. I don't know how it happened. I really don't. But somehow our Christian subculture has distorted our attitude about the return of Christ. It might not be true. You may have a great attitude about this. You may have it all set up. But, but by and large, I've, I've noticed over the years that, that when, when our Christian subculture thinks about the return of Christ, the, the primary emotions involved are fear, terror, doubt. That's what people think about when they think about the return of Jesus. 
Look at the attitude Jesus tells us to have about his impending judgment. Okay, verse 8. What did he say? He said, don't be deceived by the fear mongers. That fear mongering is deception. It's deception. Verse 9, don't be alarmed. Don't get worked up. Don't get riled up by folks trying to stir your emotions about these things. Verse 12 through 19, he says, you're going to be persecuted. That folks are going to come after you, especially in regards to when the temple in Jerusalem are uh, were, were judged. He said, you're going to be persecuted. Some of you are even going to be killed. But what should you remember? What should your attitude be? What should you, what should you remember? Not a hair of your head will be lost in verse 18. Not a hair of your head will be lost in the persecution. That's what your attitude should be. Verse 20 through 24, he tells his disciples that when the army shows up around Jerusalem, what should you do? Just leave. Just leave. Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. Don't be terrified. Just leave. That's what he tells them. Verse 28, he says, when the Son of Man shows up, the judgment of the world, what should you be thinking? What should your attitude be? Stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is near. This is hope, isn't it? Right? The only people who ought to be afraid of God's judgment are those who ignore it. Okay? The only people who should be afraid of God's judgment are those who ignore it. Those who refuse to fear it. Right? If you love and follow Jesus, his coming judgment over this world is your joy and your hope. It's wonderful. The return of Christ is the beginning of eternity with Christ. And so his coming judgment is joy and hope. So don't be afraid. It's nothing to fear. It's Jesus coming to your rescue. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be afraid because everything is going to be easy. It's not. He spends a significant amount of time talking about the persecution that's coming for his followers. That's not easy. And so you shouldn't be afraid because everything's going to be easy. You, should be af- you, you shouldn't be afraid because Jesus Christ has you. He has you. You are held within his hand. Not a hair of your head will be lost. And, and one of the greatest demonstrations of our faith in Christ is to face horrible tragedy, terrifying, fearful circumstances and lift our heads and lift our hands to the Lord in the midst of all of them and say, I know, I know that you have the final word in this Christ. Not a hair of my head will be lost. I will endure in Christ. I will not fear for you are with me. It's one of the greatest demonstrations of our faith in Christ is to face those moments And just be able to begin quoting Psalm 23. So don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. There's no reason to be afraid. This is our hope and redemption coming when Jesus Christ shows up. It's wonderful. The second way that we can be prepared, we can be ready for when God's judgment arrives is to not look for clues about when he will arrive. Like, don't look for clues about when Jesus will return. Don't do it. Okay, don't do it. Uh, you don't, and the whole point is, you don't need to scour the news looking for signs. You don't need to. Uh, you, you don't need to try to figure it all out. 
The whole point about all of this is that there's no reason to look for clues. It's obvious. It's very obvious, right? He tells you the obvious signs. There's no reason to keep a track on, you know, troop movements in Russia or, you know, red heifers in Jerusalem and things like that. You don't have to do that. Um, the whole point is that it's completely evident that we are in the last days as we have been since Christ ascended into heaven. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. And, you know, that's one of the primary themes about the, the book of Revelation. If you read through the book of Revelation, really study it and see what's going on there, that there are, there's there are really three sequences that happen in the entire book. It's three sets of seven. You might remember this if you've ever peeked in that kind of scary book in the back of your Bibles. There's three sets of seven. There's seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And uh, the interesting thing is they're, they're almost all identical. The sets of seven, they're almost all identical. The same kinds of things happen in each of them. And after each of them, Jesus shows up, the arrival of Christ. And the whole point is to show us that these, this time of this era between when Christ died on the cross, resurrected, and ascended to heaven, between then and his second return is a time of turmoil. It's not a time, it's not an idyllic age, right? It's just what life looks like during these years. It's, a time, it's an age of turmoil and tragedy. And you know what, church? It has been. It has been. Like, you know, have some honesty about history. <laughs> Our wars have only gotten bigger, right? Our wars have only... In fact, about 100 years ago, we just started having world wars. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to grow this thing. Our bombs have only gotten bigger, right? Uh, have we seen less natural disasters and diseases in the last 2,000 years? Nope. New and worse viruses are created, I mean, discovered every year, all the time. That was a COVID joke. Did you get it? That was good. Uh, I'm going to get an email. Brad's, Brad's going to get an email about that. I was, it was a joke, though, people. Um, It's, it's not an idyllic age, is it, right? And we, we have the, man, we live in a, in a lot of ways, a golden era because we live in suburban Alabama and things are nice here in general. But if you, if you really look at like what has happened in the last 2,000 years, this is nothing idyllic about this. People still die every day. People still have horrible diseases every day. Natural disasters strike every year. War is raging all over this world. Genocides are still happening. There's no such thing as progression, right? Things don't actually get better. We've only improved our ability at killing people, right? We don't have to look for clues to tell us we're in the last days, right? Just if you've been alive, it's been pretty evident. So don't look for that stuff. You don't have to look for it. It's obvious, right? It's not what the Lord wants us to be on guard for during this time. He wants us to be on guard. He said that. Be on guard. But don't be on guard for clues about the end. You don't have to do that. It's a waste of time. What does he tell us to be on guard for? Verse 34 says this. Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing, drunkenness, and worries of life. Or that day will come on you unexpectedly like 
a trap. Be on your guard so that you won't be distracted by this temporary existence. That's his whole point for this entire speech that he's given. The disciples are, are there marveling at the temple, its beauty and opulence. And he responds to them by, by telling them, don't you realize that in just a couple years, all this is going to be in the dirt. It's just going to be in the dirt. It's temporary. The same goes for us. Be on your guard so that we are not distracted by the temporary. How can you be ready for the coming judgment? Well, don't be distracted by the temporary in this world. Don't let your mind be dulled with carousing, drunkenness, the worries of life. Um, don't let your mind be dulled, I don't know, by doom scrolling on your phone every day, all day long. Don't burn your life away like that. Don't let your mind be dulled by just keeping up with your, your neighbors, keeping up with people around you. Don't let your mind be dulled by the pursuit of success or busyness. Jesus says that these things are dulling your mind, distracting us from what our lives are really about. If we are so distracted by these things, the day of the Lord will come upon us like a trap, he says. If you live a life of distraction, you know what you will be whenever Christ shows up? Distracted. So have some perspective. Think about this for a moment. Really think about this. Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again to save you, to give you a new life, a brand new life. Don't waste it with distractions. You can waste your life. You can absolutely waste your new life that was bought and paid for by Christ. Don't waste it with distractions. So how can we be ready for judgment? Well, Jesus says be focused. You know, that's the whole point. Is be focused on what you've been called to. And you've been called to something. You've been called to love your neighbor. You've been called to worship God. You've been called to share the gospel. You've been called to be a light of the gospel in Alberville, Boaz, Sardis, Gunnersville. Wherever you live, you've been called to something. Don't be distracted from that. Do that. You have an office that you go to every week full of people. And you know what? God loves those people. You have a family full of people. You know what? God loves those people. Don't be distracted by whatever you got going on from the calling that's been placed on your life to minister the gospel to those people. Because judgment is not a bad thing. I'll say it again. It's not a bad thing. It's a necessary thing. And there are two possible outcomes to judgment. There's the guilty and the righteous. And, and it's worth asking yourself, how can I be able to stand in the judgment righteous? How will I be able to stand in the judgment made righteous and redeemed on that day? And how will those around me be able to stand righteous in the judgment on that day? We need Christ. Faith, repentance, perseverance for ourselves, but also what we preach to those around us. Consider with me that maybe we have distractions that we need to repent of this morning. 
a distracted life we just need to repent of and we need to turn from. There are things, and it's, it's insidious. Distractions are insidious. They creep in. It's harmless, man. It's, it's not hurt. Nothing's hurt no one. And next thing you know, you've given your life to meaningless, meaningless things. You've given years, hours of your life to meaningless things. And so maybe consider with me that there might be something that you need, some distractions, things that are distracting you that you need to repent of this morning. You need to refocus of your life on the gospel and those around you. Consider that. Also, I want you to consider with me too, if maybe you don't know how you will stand in the judgment righteous. And when the prospect of meeting Christ is terrifying possibly to you because you don't know what the answer will be for that judgment. You don't know if you would be able to stand righteous by faith because of Christ in that. And if that's you, come talk. I would love to, to share with you how you can stand redeemed when Christ returns. How you can be saved from his justice when he returns. Let's pray. Our God, We are your people, Lord, even when we are, when we just want to repent before you this morning, because we claim to be your people, but sometimes we just don't really have much to do with your things and the things that you would have us be doing. And sometimes we're just so distracted by whatever we have going on, just the busyness of life, just busyness for busyness sakes, things that don't even really matter when it's all said and done, things that are temporal. Lord, set our sights on the eternal, we pray. Love, peace, joy. Set our sights on the impact we can have with your gospel in our area, in our families, in our workplace. Give us a discipline to have the eyes to see the lost around us, not even just, but the hurting too, Lord, those that need ministering to, that need the hope of the gospel, that need the love of Christ around us. Give us eyes to see these things. Lord, help us to see through the fog of our distractions and to see our calling that you've placed on our lives. Lord, we repent in our distractedness. We pray that you would or give us by your spirit new eyes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.